You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Welcome back to the Try, Fail, Learn podcast, the podcast all about professionals and the lessons they've learned through the years. My name is Joshua Nolet, and in today's episode, we talk to Diane Cruz, the former president and CEO of the Sanford Airport Authority. Diane, thank you so much for, for being on the show. I'm really excited to hear your story and the lessons that you've learned along the way of your professional career. If you could start off, just give us an introduction to you and uh, the title you held before retirement. Okay. Well, my name is Diane Cruz, and I retired a little over a year ago from my position as president and CEO of the Orlando Sanford International Airport. I had uh, been at the airport for over 19 years, uh, 15 years of that, or excuse me, 14 years of that, I was as the vice president of administration. Um, for a few years, I was also administration and finance. And then I uh, was promoted to the position of president and CEO when uh, the former president, Larry Dale, retired. So Diane, if you could just tell me a little bit about education, um, early life, you know, getting into the workforce. Okay, so I was a non-traditional student, and I do want to back up a little bit, and I'll try to make this quick, but I was one of six children. My dad was a firefighter, a career firefighter. Uh, he ended up, uh, he was actually a firefighter with Sanford when I was a child, and then uh, went to uh, Kennedy Space Center, and he retired from there. And my mother wow. was a stay-at-home mom, homemaker. Neither one of my parents finished high school. But I will tell you right now, my dad was one of the smartest men, if not the smartest man that I have ever known. He was so wise. And my mom uh, was had so much common sense. She was raising six children, stay-at-home mom. She did an amazing job on a very limited uh, income. So nobody in my family had gone to college. It had always been my plan to, to go to college. I, was, I did very, very well in school. I was always at the top of my class. And um, I was going to have to do it without any financial help from my parents. So when I graduated from high school, I was only 17 years old. And all of a sudden, uh, I realized that even with scholarships, um, all of my savings, uh, it, was, it was going to be a daunting prospect. And to tell you the truth, I was just too immature at 17, uh, too afraid. And I thought, I don't even know what I want to do. So I'm going to take a year off and wait. And I'll go to Seminole. It was Seminole Junior College then. And I... I did go part-time to Seminole Junior College, and guess what happened? I met the love of my life, oh. Rob Cruz, and we decided that we would get married, and we would both finish our education. Uh, we were going to go up New York to New York to Nyack College and go there. Okay. You know, things just didn't work out. So we ended up just getting on with the business of living, um, and then we had two children, and all this time. My husband is encouraging me to go back to school. And it was always, okay, when this happens, when this happens, and when the kids get in school full-time, then I'll do it. Right, right. And it got harder and harder. And I think this is true with a lot of people, non-traditional students. They're, it seems almost insurmountable as the years go by. So 17 years after I graduated from high school, I did go back to school. By that time, wow. Um, I was back in Sanford. We, we lived in a lot of different places and I don't really need to go into all that, but my husband had gotten injured on the job. Mm -hmm. We lived 
um, in Michigan and um, he had had a really good job, but he got hurt and his company was in bankruptcy. The company he worked for and wow. he, he, we had to get back home after his surgery and he had back surgery. And I realized that for the first time that I didn't have the ability to earn a living for my family. Hmm. I, I hadn't finished my education and it didn't matter how smart I was. It didn't matter that I graduated from the top of my class. None of that mattered because I didn't go to college and I was so angry with myself. I said, I will never let myself be in this position again. And I will go to college as soon as I'm able. So we came back to Sanford and um, long story short, I did, I got a job with the city of Sanford and uh, it was a very low, low position. It was you know, an entry level. And I started going back to school and I worked really, really hard. Um, and I got, um, I got my bachelor's degree, took a long time, but it started like, I'll take a class. Well, I can do this. I'll take two classes. And I thought I'll take three and I'll take four. So I was, I had a lot of support from my family, tremendous amount of support. My kids were in middle school and, um, I had an opportunity to, um, apply for a position at the city working for the mayor and commission. And I just graduated from UCF with my bachelor's degree. And, and I may say this, I did go to Seminole State and then on to UCF. Um, and I'm, it's important to, to know that because I'm gonna go back to this and explain how doors were opened for me um, and opportunities were there that I, I, avail, I took advantage of. Okay. Anyway, okay. so um, I got the job as liaison to the mayor and commission. It was a new position. They'd never had anything like that. And I've really got empowered to help a lot of people. And that that's all I'd ever wanted to do. I always said, I want to make a difference. I really want to make a difference. And in that position, I really was able to make a position. And I was back in school working on my master's degree at UCF. Um, and after uh, four years of working for the mayor and city commission, and I had my my master's degree uh, position um, for the president of the airport opened up and the then mayor uh, was Larry Dale. And he was offered the position because he was just leaving office and he went uh, to the airport and we had worked closely together um, as I was the liaison. And he asked if I had any interest in coming over to the airport and helping him run that. And I had a lot of support from the commissioners. You know, they hated to lose me, but they they were really supportive of me working with him at the airport. And I took the position. Okay, so wow, I had to go back to school. I mean, there were still things that I had to learn. And I I got my um, after time, I got my uh, AAAE my AAE certification uh, as an airport director. So you went, you got your bachelor's degree in, in what was your major? Public administration. Public, okay. And then your master's degree is in the same? Yes, because I really believe in good government and I, mm. my eyes were opened up uh, when I worked for the city. My eyes were really opened up to the distrust there is between the public and government. And I really wanted to, to like reinvent that. Um, so I, I even kept it on my refrigerator for a long time, a little note that said, I want to row the boat because I felt like if you had the right people running, rowing the boat, you could get where you needed to be with government. But I'm passionate about good government. Uh, there should not be this distrust. Unfortunately, um, there is. And I worked with people who, who really felt like, you know, the public didn't have a say, you know, it didn't matter. Right. Uh, but it did because they would say, oh, this person just told me you work for me. And they were saying, I don't work for them. I said, well, technically you do. If you work for government, you do. The airport was a government job as well. So just backing up for a few minutes. So all of those steps, every one of those steps along the way um, involved people being there, uh, educating me about opportunities. And I call it doors. Not that they opened the door for me, but they told me about doors to open. Mm. And I mean, I, I've worked really hard and I know I've earned, you know, every position I've ever had, but there were doors that were available. And so Seminole State, I went back 17 years since I'd been there. I was told by a counselor about uh, testing and I tested out of, I tested out of um, over half a year of, of college. 
And I went every Saturday morning. Uh, you know, it seemed like I was there every Saturday morning at their testing center for a while. But there were people who really, really helped me there. They encouraged me, you know, um, to keep trying to do this. So I did that. Um, when Seminole State was, when my time there was drawing to a close, UCF started a program called a fast track program where you could earn your bachelor's degree. And what it did, there were about 16 of us in the initial class, was get us over the hurdle because going from a small little college, because Seminole State wasn't even Seminole State then, it was much smaller. Um, yeah, that's that's a little bit of a hurdle for people who haven't been in a large academic background. I did it, so, and it was it was daunting, daunting. scary. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So especially when you're older, and so a group of non-traditional students, what it did, it didn't. It was not a successful program in that it only lasted for one semester. And then they moved the classes over to UCF and they were held on Saturdays, whereas they'd had been Friday nights and Saturdays at Seminole State. It got changed to Saturdays at UCF, but it didn't matter. By the time we got to that point, we were committed, committed to the process. And so um, that that got me into UCF, that program. And, you know, I drove back and forth. I was still working full time at the city. And there were people who encouraged me along the way. Then when I finished um, and then I decided to go ahead and get my master's, Mayor Dale, who had gone on to the airport, offered me an opportunity. That that was different. You know, I was a student of government and I had to realize that, well, the, the airport is government too. I had never thought about a career in aviation. What I wanted to do was be a public servant and I found right. out that this allowed me to be a public servant in a much greater way. Going to the airport allowed me to create so many opportunities for people um, for jobs. It allowed me to work with businesses, to bring new businesses in. And when people ask me what the airports, um, what I thought the greatest contribution of the airport was to the community, I always say it was opportunity. It created opportunity, not just travel, but jobs, uh, creating that synergy. And so we had over 4,000 people employed on the airport property. That's, that's a huge, uh, huge base of employment for Seminole County, especially for Sanford. So um, that's important for me to tell people that to not be afraid. You know, um, you might be, and I know a lot of people, or I knew a lot of people who were my age who were thinking about going back to school but they felt like it was too large for them. And a number of women came up to me after I finished, um, I got my undergrad and said, you know, I'm going back to school. You did it. I know I can do it too. And that's, that's probably the, the, some of the greatest moments of my career were hearing women make those types of decisions. With going back and getting AAAE certified, mm -hmm. what was the learning curve, I guess, from working in a public public administration role to having to change that more to an aviation because it is it is like a city, but there mm -hmm. are differences in running an airport versus a city because there are things that I mean, they have to do with air travel and aviation. So what was some of the difficulties of transitioning from that to aviation? Okay, so again, my role was director of administration. So I had properties and everything. So there were elements of my job that uh, required other types of education. I had to get my real estate license. Uh, not that it was required by what we do at the airport, but it just made us more knowledgeable. Made me more knowledgeable about leasing property, for example. You know, we I know we leased a house to your your family for a while, for many years actually. Yeah. Um, the the AAAE is um, an organization to promote careers in aviation, and they are the ones who are certifying you for that. And they offer the program uh, that I took. And it's not a matter of I had to go to, a, you know, go back to college, but I had to work through AAAE to get my AAE, which is your certification as um, an airport director. And I, there's a process. There is a, a tremendous amount of um, written material that you have to read and you're tested on it. Um, and, and I did not do this like boom, boom, boom. I did it. Uh, you have to work for an airport for a year before you can even join uh, AAAE. Oh, wow. And uh, so I took, the, I took the written test, which is not easy. It's a multiple choice, but it covers everything from 
things like public administration and, and just basic uh, management uh, theory to all the elements of an airport. And um, even you know, like snow removal, which we don't deal with. But um, so only about a third of my class, because I went to a class um, just to uh, prepare me uh, where you went for a whole week after you'd studied and studied and you went to a class and then you took your test, only about a third of the class even passed. And that's was, uh, typical of the uh, success ratio. Yeah. With, with it, it's, wow. it's a pretty, it's, it's just covers so much that it, it makes it um, very, very uh, difficult. And so, so you pass that. And then um, there is a written component, but because I had my master's degree, I didn't have to do that. It, there was, they just, it's one of those things where they created a rule that if you had uh, higher education, that you would be exempt from doing the written component, which was a, a, a paper, uh, but okay. a full blown you know research paper like you would do for any college course. Uh, the final thing, the final um, element of getting that certification was to go before an, a board, an oral board, and you you went be uh, for three uh, peers who have been trained. And um, they grill you on all of these different components of aviation. They're, it's divided into seven, seven components and they pick questions. And yes, it's as you sit for two or three hours and, and get asked these questions. I cannot stress enough how stressful that is. Really? Uh, George and I both shared and I said, you know, I went to school for all these years and my family would say, you know, you always say you're not going to do well, what you always do. And I said, this time they don't understand. <laughs> I really could. I really could blow this depending on what they asked me about. Um, mm. So, uh, yes. And so finally that I cannot, the day that I, um, as they tell you, they send you out and then they bring you back in and they tell you right then if you pass or fail, that was like happiest days of my life. It really was. It was, uh, it was, it was, it was probably the most stressful thing I've ever done. It was that, it was that, really? uh, yeah, just because there's just so much material to cover. And you have to remember that I, I didn't deal with uh, airport operations. I mean, I, I understood about it. I, you know, so that's all academic where you, you know, you read and you learn and all that. And I lived in it. So I had that kind of background, but I wasn't someone who was out there actually doing the work like you and George. Right. And yeah, you know, they always want to focus on those things that they know you don't do at the airport. So I really wasn't quite sure. I think it was the unknown, just mm. the unknown of what I might be asked that made it so stressful. I think George would agree with me, <laughs> but we both passed. So yeah, um, probably who was the final hurdle? Who were the three people you had doing yours? Do you remember oh. them? I can't remember their names right now. They were oh, okay. uh, all three. Uh, one was an airport director. Um, the two others, they worked at different airports, but they worked at, you know, they even put a mentor with you. So I had a mentor um, out of uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, wow. And they also had a, a part-time mentor in Cyrus um, Callum, who is now the director at Daytona. He's actually going to be a guest on the podcast soon. He is amazing. Yes. Don't, don't hesitate to tell him that. He knows how much I love him. He awesome. was he was there right with me before I went into my interview, uh, that oral interview. And I just remember he sat down. I, this man sat down beside me. He put his arm around me and said, you've got this. You've got this. And it was oh, it just cool. helped calm my nerves. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's, he's wonderful. Daytona is so fortunate to have someone um, of his caliber. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That's really cool. Well, I'm glad I, I picked him as a guest. So um, he's yeah he's going to be on uh, the early early February is when we're going to do the interview. So yeah, he'll sometime do he'll in February. do great. Yeah, that will be a wonderful broadcast. Awesome, yeah. awesome. I'm excited. So if um, if you wouldn't mind, could you talk about some of the difficulties of leading groups of people? I know that George and I have related on, over the years, not even in the podcast, but over the years about you know the difficulties of leading um, different. I'll, I'll say pay ranges, but I'll, I'll more put it um, levels of dedication mm -hmm. um, in that, you know, when I was a supervisor on the ramp, um, I'm leading guys who are getting paid eight, nine, $10 an hour. Um, and they, 
the only difference between them staying and, and working and doing their job well and mm -hmm. leaving and going working McDonald's or Amazon, like we're going through right now, um, would be me. And if they enjoy, you know, the leadership in the environment. Um, and I know that everybody I've talked to who worked for you and under you has always said wonderful things about your leadership. And I've witnessed that firsthand and been able to interact with you. And um, so could you just share, though, some of the difficulties and the lessons learned in leading staff, either mm -hmm. it doesn't even have to be with the airport, just in general? Okay. Well, you know, the old adage to treat people, it's basically the golden rule, treat people the way you want to be treated. Um, I was, that was really instilled in me from a very early age. And so I, um, I try to keep that front and center. And I tried, I tried to make sure that we, um, that we never lost sight of that. And so regardless of, um, what the issue was, you know, who, what I was dealing with, that the person in front of me, um, was no different from me as far as the dignity of the person. So respecting their dignity, um, trying to create opportunities for employees to move ahead, um, to, uh, to make them not always feel like, well, this was just the end of the road or a stepping stone to see what we could do to, to improve um, their work experience. Um, I, tried to find things that would make the work more enjoyable. You know, a lot of those things were just the things where you brought staff together uh, from all those different areas that you're talking about um, for fun, you know, to try to find things that were fun. You know, the uh, an example would be uh, for Christmas doing an employee breakfast. Uh, even though we had an employee party that included family, but do an employee breakfast and have games. And the first time we did games, I thought, I don't know, if, you know, they may, they may just say, we're, we don't want to do games, but oh my, they bought into it and became so competitive with each other. And uh, it was great. It was fun for all of us, um, enough where everyone started looking forward to it. Um, so I don't ever expect anyone to work harder than me. And I think that was the number one thing that um, nobody who's ever worked for me could ever say that I expected more from them than what I was willing to do myself. Mm. And I think that there was never anything that I thought I was above doing either. And, uh, you know, we, we had an issue at one point where the cleaning company was not cleaning the bathrooms properly. This is many years ago, many years ago, uh, long, long before you. And I remember telling employees that, look, if we have to clean those ourselves, we're going to, we're going to do it. You know, and we, if we have to go and do it ourselves, we will do it. And I think that's important for people to know during a series of hurricanes that we had, we were all out there doing everything in the cleanup. So um, I think that helps when you're a leader, if, if they see that you're willing to work side by side with them just to get the job done. And I think that helps. And I don't yeah. know if that really answered your question. That's the, the best thing I can say is just to make sure that you don't ever really in a, a more real sense, sense, set yourself above anyone. You know, the title doesn't make you a better person than the person who cuts grass. It doesn't, because that's an essential task. So, you know, I, I used to say, you know, the person who cleans the sewers, they probably automate more money than anyone else, because that's a job that nobody wants to do. Very true. <laughs> At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. You have one unheard message. 
Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow. <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Nobody wants to be treated less than, you know, yeah. nobody does. And, and um, I mean, that leadership trickled down because yeah. I've thrown bags, you know, I've offloaded bags with, with Jen and, um, and I've had George out there on the ramp cleaning um, hydraulic spills with me before. And um, I mean, these are high level leaders at the airport authority that their job, I mean, so many spaces removed from that operation. So many, it, it, it shouldn't ever cross their radar. Um, mm -hmm. But they, you know, if it needed to get done, they were going to get down and dirty with it and, you know, make things work. So, um, yeah, I mean, that, that leadership strategy definitely trickled down. Um, and I noticed that a lot in the airport authority. Um, with leading teams, though, so my experience in the ramp has been that when a woman moves into a place of leadership, the men tend to get upset and angry. <laughs> um, I never had that perspective. I think it just comes from I was raised by a very strong woman. And uh, my wife is a very strong woman. And I have no problem if she has a better idea. I have no problem deferring to my wife. You know, if, if that's the really the best thing to happen, then that's what needs to happen. Um, did you face any problems like that in your leadership over the airport? Because you were you were the top. So I think I was fortunate in that I did not face a lot of that. Um, and I think because I'd been there so long in a leadership position, by the time I got the promotion to president, it had already been pretty established, uh, my authority. So there wasn't that. But as a woman, yeah, there were instances, I can say, yes, treated differently, treated differently than if I had been a man in the same position, but not by my employees, not, mm. not for the most part, not by my employees. Um, I know it was not unusual to have for many years, uh, outsiders just assume, and when I'd be in a meeting that I was a secretary and there isn't anything wrong with being a secretary or an assistant. There's nothing that, but they would automatically assume it because I was a woman sitting at a table that was predominantly men, if not all men. And, you know, you are faced with, you, you, especially someone like me who doesn't really believe there's a higher value on any one position when, when all positions are needed for the whole to say, uh, I'm, I'm actually the vice president of administration because then you sound like a jerk, you know, because like it was, it was just, you know, I, I had to find a gracious way to deal with that. So that was, that was something that I had to deal with on occasion because my pride wanted me to say, wanted me to correct them, but sometimes it wasn't the best thing to do. And um, I, men around me would correct it. Uh, and George and I've had to deal with that. George and I have been in meetings where they defer to him and he would say, uh, actually, uh, you need to talk to her. She's the boss, you know, just things like that. And it was that was better to let him handle it or like to let Larry Dale handle it rather than for me to make the correction. Um, so that that stereotype still out there. Um, but there's there's also um, something that I need to say that I think is very important. Uh, people talk about that glass ceiling, you know, women having to break through that glass ceiling and all and stereotypes. Uh, and when I've been interviewed about things like that before, people really want you to be a little more, um, not militant, but um, they just want you to think differently as a woman than I do. And I will tell you this, this is, I don't think people have always appreciated this, but I 100% believe it. I had two children. I would not have taken the job at the airport when my children were small because I believed that they were my number one priority and 
I, the airport job was, is 24 seven. It was, you know, um, it just consumes you, consumes you. And that's good. I was able to do, uh, I believe a great job for the airport because I had the time and energy to do it, but I would not have sacrificed my family for that role as the prime, you know, that, that may sound a little fashion, you know, my husband and I, you know, we were both working, but I was the mom and I didn't want to miss anything. Even when they were in middle school and I was going to school and working full time, I tried my hardest not to miss soccer games and, you know, anything else. I, I didn't want to miss any of it. And I uh, think that sets me apart a little bit from some women who are so career oriented from an early stage, you know, that balancing of work and family is so much more demanding when your children are younger. And I tell you, you don't get that time back. I cherish the time I have with my grandchildren now. Um, I, I just wouldn't have done it. And that's me. But once I, you know, they were, they were grown, I took the job at the airport and poured my, my heart and soul into it. I think what's what's really cool about your story too, and and there are are many stages where I feel this way, but I mean, especially I haven't I haven't finished my bachelor's degree, and and there are a lot of of stages that I can't play on just because I don't have a bachelor's degree, and and I realize that, and and I've come to terms with it. I'm fine with it. You know, one day I hope to go back, and you know, when we're able to do it. Um, but what I think is very prevalent right now is this idea that no matter what you do, that you can't rise above whatever society pins you to be. Um, and I fundamentally, I just don't, I don't agree with that. I don't think that's I true. I think that it's a lie that people tell to, to feel better about their lack of ambition. Um, I don't know why, to be honest, that's what I can think of off the top of my head. Um, but I think what's really, and I, I mentioned this to um, Tanisha, when we were, when I was working with uh, the marketing team of the airport, when I was at the airport, the president of my company was a woman and <laughs> the president of the airport authority was a woman. And you both have worked hard and got to the positions that you were at. And I, I've never met a finer leader than yourself. And, and I just sat back and said, this is, these two women are living proof that you don't have to abide by whatever some like there's always going to be somebody who's not going to want you to succeed that's that's just mm -hmm. life um but what i have loved about your story is that it really doesn't matter that you were gonna you had two kids and you prioritized your family and you stayed a mom in the early stages and then you went and you had a career and had a really successful career um and I just, I think that's amazing. I think that's really, really cool. So oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I know that um, when one of my, you know, my daughter, so um, I think it was Carrie when she was in high school, I, uh, and remember I went back to school when they were in, uh, in middle school. And I remember I overheard her talking to a friend who was saying that she didn't know if she wanted to go to college. And she, she, maybe she would wait and Carrie saying, oh, no, oh, no, you don't want to do that because, you know, if you wait, it'll just be harder because you, you know, all these different things. And she was saying you and you'll regret that you did. And she was like basically telling my story to this girl wow. about not waiting. And I thought, OK, if nothing else, I have been successful there. But I, I truly do not believe that education is higher education, as much as I value education, and I think that's come across, I hope that has, because I do, it, it isn't necessary for everybody. And it was, whether it had led to me getting a better position or not, when I went back to school, that was for me, that was for me. And I remember telling my husband, as we were sacrificing a lot for me to do it, I said, what if I don't get this, a wonderful new job from this? And he said, it's okay, because you're doing it for you. This is something you've been wanting to do, you know, since you were a kid, you know, that you're doing it for you. And that was, that took so much pressure off me to know that there were no expectations other than the education was something I really wanted to do because I, I, I value education, but there are so many positions that are good paying positions and they're no less, they're, they're no lesser or greater than any other position at the airport or any other 
uh, environment that don't require a, a four-year degree or, or and we that's part of um, what's so important about the aviation day that we promote at the airport. You know, the whole thing is to to inform the public about all the different roles at a place like the airport, all the different good paying jobs. A lot of those jobs pay more than people all over the country are making with, with higher degrees. It, it takes a certification and it's, that's attainable. That's attainable for most people. Um, so I think that now in the current environment, people need to be more than ever realistic about opportunities out there and that no one should be looking down on anyone for what they have or haven't done, but we need to open their eyes to what can be done. Um, and, and we spent a lot of time talking to parents on Aviation Day, which you know is that annual event that they haven't been able to have for a couple of years, but talking to parents along with their kids about opportunities like that, because it, it just isn't necessary. There are a lot of people who have degrees who don't use, I mean, it, they're, they're in a career field where the degree didn't help them at all. Years and years ago, um, I went to a seminar uh, uh, with my husband and the speaker, I couldn't even tell you what his topic was, except he said one thing and it stood out to me. He said, the greatest thing you can do for your children, in his opinion, was to give them as much education as you could possibly afford. And his reason then was, he said, it's not necessarily going to make them better people and, or do anything for them, except there may come a day when it will open a door that would otherwise be closed. And that stuck with me because there are doors that are closed unless you have that, that degree. Um, and knowing you, I can't imagine that you won't finish um, because I would, someone with your um, intelligence and ability and drive, I can't imagine how you would feel if a door was closed to you just because of that. And I was there and that, that drove me to go and complete my education. Remember I said, I found that I couldn't, I couldn't get so many jobs because right. I didn't have the degree. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I have faced that already. Um, which, I mean, it's just going to drive me to build something and, and, and go back. But yeah, I mean, I think that education is not always something that will lead. To, there are certain specialties, you know what I mean? You have to have education to be a doctor, you know, you need yeah. to get that. Um, but like um, Adriana, who worked in operations with me, was an amazing influence on me when I was in operations. Um, she always said, my bachelor's degree, whether I use it ever again in my life is for me. And she had a bachelor's degree in aviation. And she said, I really don't, it doesn't matter because nobody can take that away. I, I got my degree and I went and I got that education and, and that's for me. And, and then in people's case, like my, my sister-in-law, Katie Beth, um, she is a homeschool mom. She stays mm -hmm. home and she teaches her three kids, fourth one on the way. Um, and she has a master's degree. But the woman is a genius. I mean, she she is so intelligent and has done so much with education. And she I, I asked her about it because I was like, you're you wanted to be a stay at home mom like that was that was your plan. You didn't want to be a career woman. And um, her heart was I want to educate myself so that I can educate my children the best I can. I want to be an intelligent person. I'm doing this for me. And so bachelor's or higher education of any form is not a. And I'm hoping that people are realizing this more. It is not a guarantee for no, more pay or a better job. It just isn't. Um, we talked to, I talked to Justin Rowe in my last episode and he said he has a master's degree as well. And he said, really the best thing that my master's degree did for me was open the door to be able to work with investors to run this mm -hmm. company. Um, and that was, you know, the best preparation it did. And so um, something though I wanted to touch on outside of, of education um, is the process of delegation. Um, mm -hmm. We talked about the Sanford Airport Authority is a, a government entity, um, but the company that I worked for, I touched on this with George, was the operator of the airport. Is that a correct term? That's correct. Okay. So when you have a team of people who work for you, delegation is something that is quite challenging for a lot of leaders. Um, but can you talk about the form of delegation when it comes to having the entire operation of a company 
delegated to another company and the difficulties and the politics involved in that. Okay, so need to clarify that isn't the entire operation that's delegated, um, the operation of the terminal. Okay, so which includes the gates and the ramps, but the airport authority still had its own operation team. And there was, there, there is a bit of a, um, an overlap. Um, it's a dance is what it is when you have, um, when you're delegating in the unique situation that we have at the airport. Um, I, I went to a conference and spoke about this a couple of years ago about that dance, um, having the private company uh, doing a good portion of the work of the airport and you're there um, providing oversight and you have different goals. I mean, you, you have common goals uh, running the airport, um, but as government, what's our number one? Number one concern of government is the public good. Okay, number one goal of a private company is profit. And that's why there's a dance. Now, they overlap because the airport authority also wants to make money because then they can pour it right back into operations. They're not making money so that they could, um, you know, in build a huge reserve necessarily or, um, you know, where they have stockholders, you know, with shares and they're, they're going to be paying dividends and all that. You don't have any of that or investors who need to be paid back. But a private company does. So their approach is going to be different because their goals are different. And while that may not be the primary goal, it's still one of the main goals. So there's there's that. Do you, do, am I making sense how that changes the whole dynamic between yeah, the two? Yeah, absolutely. So the airport authority with oversight can't just say, okay, I've signed this contract with this company and I'm just going to assume that everything is going to be perfect. They have to exercise oversight. And that, um, that it can be tricky. So, I mean, it can be, um, it can be political, absolutely, because we, we're government. And even though the city is not running us we're still, they appoint the board members. The board members are not elected, but it's still, when you say political, political doesn't necessarily mean elections and all of that. It's just interaction with people and having to balance um, everything between the people that you have to report to and the people that are calling in. And then you have the largest stakeholder, which is the public. So I found that it could be, um, it was probably one of the more challenging things at the airport was um, balancing the desire for um, perfection with the reality of, you know, with being with realism. So you have a private company and you want things to be perfect. They're operating uh, with a budget and they're trying to, uh, keep their bottom line as low as possible so their profits will be higher. And I can just tell you that I think that we worked really well together. Uh, you, you mentioned your previous boss and yeah, you know, I, I guess I don't wanna go by, but I can say Elizabeth is an amazing lady. I have a lot of respect for her. And um, we just didn't, we tried to keep it real. We tried, I know I always tried just to say it like it was. So the expectations were clear and, and that I knew what was going on. And if things were not the way I wanted them to be, that she was aware of that. Because you can't be everywhere at all times, you know? It, it's challenging. That's the best thing I can say is that it probably takes more oversight than if you had it in-house. But there are plus sides too. The, the private company's taking the risk. They're taking the greater risk. They're, you know, with funding all of these things. And it, it can be a win-win, but I think you have to have proper oversight. It's definitely a, a dance. And I remember there was one time that, you know, something was going on. I, I can't 
off the top of my head even remember what we were doing. Um, but Jen came over to me and was asking questions about it. She said, okay, well, I can't talk to you about this. And she left and I like took offense to it. I was like, what do you mean? Like I can, you know, just tell me what you want me to do and, and I can handle it. Jen worked for- tell you what to do. <laughs> exactly. And that's what I was getting at is that I didn't realize how it's not like Jen can just say, hey, Josh, go do this because I don't work for Jen. And mm -hmm. um, it was definitely it was interesting to see the whole dynamic play. I didn't really know it was that way until I moved into operations and was doing that. But it's the most interesting dance that I had ever seen. And still, I, I still have never come across any dynamic that works that way. What I would like to ask, though, is for either, you know, a young kid in high school or maybe somebody who doesn't have any credentials or anything that would push them towards aviation, what would be your advice to somebody who wants to get into, you know, whether it be the government side of, of an airport or airport operations or anything like that, what would be your advice to them? Okay. So first of all, almost any job you can possibly imagine would other than, you know, like medical or, uh, would find a role at an airport in an airport environment. So um, I would I would advise them to go to it if they knew what field they were interested in to go to an airport. Um, we have certainly you know brought students in and had them spend a day with us before, um, and you know so to introduce them to all the different facets of uh, airport operations. It there is a. That's what I would say. I would say, first of all, go to Aviation Day, uh, you know, if that's available, but uh, call the airport and see if there's any opportunity to come and spend uh, even a morning or an afternoon and, um, you know, just shadow someone. I think that that is probably the best advice to shadow someone. But if you're just someone who doesn't really have a clue, maybe you're somebody who who, who doesn't really like the idea, you know, um, of going um, to college for four years, uh, I would uh, encourage them to look at, uh, like Seminole High School has an aviation program now. And, um, you know, the kids are learning how to be mechanics. And it's not just guys. These are, you know, young men and women who are um, learning all about aircraft. And uh, it's not unusual for someone to start as um, a mechanic like that and then decide that they want to go on and then, you know, become a pilot or uh, to go into aviation management, some facet of that. So two things to, to check with school, to see what kind of program is out there um, it, within like Seminole County, what programs do they have? Well, I know they have this great program at Seminole High School. Uh, the other is to contact the airport because I think that any student would find that the airport would be very receptive to spending a little bit of time with somebody who just wanted to learn more about aviation. Hmm. I know yeah. I certainly was receptive to that. And people like George are very receptive to that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, George, let me come meet him in his office and, and film an episode of this, this podcast. And I know a good friend of mine who worked in operations, uh, Chase reached out to George and George had, I think, over an hour long conversation with Chase and just gave him advice on where to go because he's currently enrolled Embry-Riddle or actually no, he graduated from Embry-Riddle. Um, and George just took time out of his day and, and you know, talked with Chase and gave him advice. And um, yeah, I found a lot of a lot of people are not as unapproachable as you might think. Um, right. And even like this interview with you, like you, you didn't have to, to do this with me, but you're you're willing to have a conversation. And I think that a lot of young people think that oh, they're not going to want to talk to me and I'm not even going to try because they're just going to be like, I get away from me, kid. But I've, it's very rare I've found that that people will be like that. It's right. much more rare than you would think. I think that people need not to be afraid to ever ask a question. I mean, the worst that can happen is somebody will say no. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's the worst thing that can happen. So last two questions. I want you to share the worst advice anybody ever gave you and then the best advice you ever got. Okay, the worst advice absolutely has to be um, to change my major because UCF was not, their public administration program was not designed to for a working student. Hmm. I was told that, I was told that um, 
And I said, oh no, this is the path I'm going. This is what I want to do. I'm almost 40 years old. I am going to get my degree in public administration. Hmm. Um, but they, they advised me to change because, um, and I did, I had to go to lots of different campuses. I mean, university high school had classes, you know, UCF used to be, you can't finish. It's, it's come so far, but, uh, I went to classes in, uh, their campus in Brevard. I went to Daytona's camp, UCF campus, um, anywhere that it took for me to get the courses to complete that degree. And it was all at night, but, and I did some, uh, it wasn't back then, you know, the online courses weren't as prevalent. They were just starting that, but um, I did some independent study. Uh, I wouldn't advise too much of that, but that's what I meant. I, that was the worst advice that was ever given just to turn, to stop and try to choose something else. Right. And uh, from that, uh, there's, I've had a lot of good advice. I mean, I've been very fortunate to have wonderful mentors in my life, but um, probably the best advice that I would give to anybody is don't take no for an answer. And that goes back to UCF telling me that I needed to change my, my uh, major. And that is a wrap for this episode of the Try, Fail, Learn podcast. If you like what you heard, please leave us a rating and review. We'll catch you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.